0: Hey this is Pastor Rick, glad you're with me today. Now today we want to talk about family and money and wealth. It's going to be an incredible study you don't want to miss because I really believe that families often don't have a financial strategy. What is your family's strategy? What are you trying to get to? I want to show you how to get there. It's going to be some fun talk today. You don't want to miss it. So stay right there, right here on demand, and let's learn the Word of God together. Stay there. When you turn your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 4, and I want to talk about family. And I want to ask you one question. Now, I like this text because in Deuteronomy 6, it, it's, it's Moses talking to the second generation of Israel. And it's kind of like, OK, guys, your parents messed up. Your parents wouldn't go into promised land. They had attitudes. They were murmurs and complainers. But I want to talk to you about your potential. Just because somebody in your past didn't do right doesn't mean that you have to do wrong. Just because something didn't go right in your grandmama's life, your brother's life, your sister's life, it doesn't mean it has to go wrong in your life. You can decide to be different. And in Deuteronomy chapter 6, it's that conversation. It's that different conversation where we lay out before you what can happen. And really, it's about a strategy. This entire conversation is about a strategy. Now, today's topic is entitled this: Teach your family to teaching your family to set a financial destination strategy. This is about me trying to show you how to get your family to go in the right direction. And that's the same thing in Deuteronomy that's happening. Moses is talking to them saying, guys, let me give you a strategy for your family, for your finances, for your future, for dealing with conflict issues. I mean, it's a long list of issues, but listen to how he frames this and he sets the stage for how he wants them to think Here's what he said. Deuteronomy chapter six, verse four, "Hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts and press them on your children. Talk about them when you sit down and when you walk along the road. When you lie down and when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your house and on your gates now i want you to notice that this is a conversation about a conversation and god is talking to them about the importance of them having a clear sense of priority when you are hanging out with your family and you're just walking along the way that's what i love about this you're just hanging out you're at the beach you're at the pool you're sitting around talking you're out there cooking in the backyard i want you to talk about some things i want you to lay down some ground rules And then I want you to also put some signs up in your house that that make declarations about what you believe. I want you to, when you hear certain things, I want you to go, excuse me, wait a minute, hold on. Let's talk about how we think as a family. There's something about this conversation. It's a strategy. It's a a long-term guide to how we're going to live. So here's the question. What is your long-term guide? especially in the context of our conversation this month regarding your wealth. What is your long-term strategy? What is your family's plan? Have you talked about it? Do you have a plan? Do you have a goal? Do you have an idea? I don't think a lot of people have a clear direction. If I ask you when you are with your family, what do you talk about? Other people, politics, But let's for a minute put all them aside. Let's not talk about anybody. Let's let's fast for a week. Don't talk about anybody else. Don't don't talk about politics. Let's talk about your family strategy. What are the temples going to do in their life? What do they need to do? And and specifically, what are their wealth concerns? Now, in this series that I've been in, how to build a new world, how how to live rather than a new world, get that right. The first time I talked to you, I told you the uh, first of the year, I said, you know, you need to make sure you are trained. You have good home training, that you allow yourself to be trained. And secondly, I said, you, you, next month, I talked about priorities. You got to have the right priorities. You know, you got to say, listen, this I do, that I don't do. What goes first, what goes second? And then thirdly, you've got to make sure your finances are right, that you have a wealth building attitude, that you are clear about how, where your resources fit. You know, a lot of people are sincere and they go, Lord, I want you to bless me. But he can't because you have no plan. There's nothing to work with. You want money, you want strategy, you want blessing, but you have, no, you have nothing for God to work with because you're not, you're not giving him anything. And so in that study, I want you to see the importance of doing that. And so what I want to do is kind of lay some ground rules. There are three insights about, about, about money that I want to talk about. And and this can apply not just in America, but across the world, anywhere you are. There are three things that are interesting, though, specifically, though, about Americans regarding money that I thought would be fun to talk about. Number one, some Americans hate talking about money. Let's make that point clear. For some people, any conversation about it. So if you're going along the way and just trying to talk to people about finances, they say, I don't want to talk about that. I don't like talking about money. See, that's the problem. That's the first problem. And what we've done is we've scared our preachers. They're scared to talk about it. And what's really cool about this conversation is, I'm not asking you, I'm not, this is not an offering. At the end of this, I won't say, and now would you get your biggest gift that you can get out of your pocket? I'm not gonna do that. This is a conversation about you and your long-term strategy for your family's wealth and resources and what that strategy is. Now, you know, I've been lately writing things down And putting it on the screen for you to read because I think it's important to know certain things. And so I want to just kind of read something for you. It's an interesting source that I found that talked about this very issue that some people really hate talking about money. So listen to this quote, and I'll put the source on the screen for you. Watch this. Americans love to talk about how Americans hate to talk about money. Indeed, recent surveys from financial and market research firms have found that in 34% of cohabitating couples, married or not, one or both partners couldn't correctly identify how much money the other makes. That only 17% of parents with an income above $100,000 a year had told or planned to tell their children how much they earn or their net worth, and that people are more comfortable talking with friends about marital discord, mental health, addiction, race, sex, and politics, than about, guess what, money. You don't want to talk about it. And so because you want to talk about it, it, it's really difficult to help you. And And I personally believe this. Church is the worst place to talk about it. Because all they talk about in church is giving money. Give, 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 give. We are not training people to build wealth. We're not training people to have resources. It's almost it's something that I, I say that I don't, I, um, <laughs> it's one of my little private sayings. I call them I-P-U's, income-producing units. If you're not careful, that's what you're looking for when you want people to join your church. You're looking for someone that can produce income. You're not really you don't care about what they what they have, where they live, never visit their home. No, you don't know anything. You don't really even care. And I'm not saying every preacher needs to visit homes because I got a lot of members. I can't go to all their houses. But here's the point. I don't need to see them as income producing units that I want them to join and get their cousins to join so they can bring more and more money to the church. So we can build more buildings and have more stuff and have more services and and live in that cycle. But I think it's important to understand that if Americans, by and large, hate talking about it. It, no wonder they can't get help with it. And the Bible says something powerful. Confess your faults one to another that you may be healed. There's something about confessing and saying, I need help. I need help. I need to tell somebody I'm struggling. And because you won't talk about it, you just bow your head and say, oh, Lord, oh, Lord, oh, Lord, oh, Lord, I'll tell you what. I somebody like somebody talking about it. I You you can't, God can't free you. Do you understand? As long as you take that posture, there is no way, no, no possibility that God can reach you because you have locked the door and said, don't talk to me about money. So that's the first thing I want you to think about. Number one, some Americans hate talking about money. Number two, here we go. Reasons, here's some reasons, reasons some Americans hate talking about money. Here's some reasons why. Now, In this, we're going to see the have-nots want it, the haves defend it. So we're going to see now that some people hate talking about money because they don't have. And these 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 are two interesting reasons. Some people have a real challenge. I want to read this quote from Jeffrey Winters. This is a simple statement that this made. A ton of sense. I'm gonna put this on screen for you. Listen to this. Jeffrey Winters, a political science professor at Northwestern University, said societies with significant wealth disparities are inherently unstable. The idea is that the have not fight to claim some resources for themselves, while the have haves fight to defend what they own whether violently or more subtly thus taboos around money among haves and have-nots alike exert a sort of stabilizing force blurring how much people actually have and giving them one fewer reason to be upset with their place in society the bubbles of denial of this, now listen the bubbles of denial that people operate within are sustained by taboos are talking about money, which in turn helps sustain the unequal society itself. Now, let me just stop and say this. The bottom line of all of that is the haves don't want to talk about it because they think you may want it. The have nots don't want to talk about it because you know, they ain't got nothing and it's, it's, it's just negative and, and, and they just, it feels like oh, I'm just, I, don't, I ain't got no money. So everybody kind of lives in this denial and they kind of balance each other out. And so they kind of cancel each other out. You don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it. We're not going to talk about it. So you, I know you make you know seven dollars an hour. I don't want to talk about that. That's a little bit of money. And if you make $17,000 an hour, I sure don't want to talk to you about that. So we kind of cancel each other out. So nobody talks about it. And I don't really even feel or understand what you're facing let me say something that might be surprising to you not having money is challenging and having money is challenging in a minute pastor rick is more challenging to not have it i'd rather have <clears throat> i could speak my mind here <laughs> i'd rather have it and have that problem than not have it i agree i'm with you on that point but here's the here's the thing i want you to understand if you have money and the guy makes $7.25 or whatever an hour, and that's a minimum, that, 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 that's a hard life. I need, to, I need to talk about that, especially if I'm your boss. I need to talk to my staff and tell me about your life and tell me about your, where you live at. Tell me you need to go visit the people you pay to see what kind of conditions they're forced to live under working for you. That would help you. But then I want to flip this around for a minute and I want to say something that may surprise you. Remember, the haves and the have nots both struggle with talking about it. A, ha- a person who's, who's done well can feel shame and uh, a bit of um, awkwardness, so they can't, they can't talk either. They have to kind of just live in this private little safe bubble. And there are issues that they face. There are issues that may be uh, not the same as yours, but my bottom line is this is not healthy. This isn't healthy. Everybody needs to be free to talk about their plight, challenge, life with money and wealth. You need people you can talk freely with. As a matter of fact, I want to encourage you to find people you can talk to talk to, people you can share with. Let me get to a third point. So number one, I want you to make sure you remember some Americans hate talking about money. Number two, there are reasons some Americans hate talking about money. And again, if you have, you struggle, and if you have not, you struggle. And for different reasons, but you can struggle. Number three, what Americans think would happen if their income were public. Let's talk about that. You know what what Americans think would happen? Let me read you a quote. You ready? If people were to publicly reveal their income, Caitlin Zalun said they'd be exposing how they're valued by their employer and how their contribution is valued even more broadly by the community. Now, I I want you to get the sermon notes, download the notes, because I've got some little bonus thoughts in there that you might help in. And all these things are are where you can go look at the source and read it on your own. But I want you to think about what she just said. It was just powerful. First of all, she said that when a person reveals what they make, in America in particular, their value is exposed. I, I just never thought about that. We struggle talking about wealth sometimes because if I make $7.25 or seven fifty, dollars or $8 an hour, I could tend to feel like that's all I'm worth. My value, so when, you know, Pizari says, what do you make? You, you, don't talk, you don't want to talk about that. You don't, you don't want, you, I mean, it, it, this, I'm, I'm undervalued. And so there's a tendency to, to be quiet. And, and the problem with being quiet is, and if you read the article that's, that's listed there, there's this incredible point that's made that I thought was so profound. It's not like that in every country. There are other countries, Asian countries, other countries, where your value is not linked to your salary. Your, your value is separate from your salary. They don't see it the way we see it. So a lot of us, especially in America, we struggle with that because, again, especially if you make less than others you tend to struggle with the value issue and that's really tragic it's a tragic way of processing life you're more than what you make your value is not defined by your salary or your income you're something because god made you whether you make a lot of money or not this happens in couples remember earlier i said the couples don't even share you don't don't even know what the other one's making doing with their money your money, my money, and you, your bills, my bills. You live in separate kingdoms in the same house. So you think we ought to blend it all together? No, you got to at least work together, talk together. Try to find common, a common ground together. A house divided can't stand. And that even is true for wealth building. So I love what she said. Caitlin Saloon said that. I loved it. I love the concept that, that income opens the discussion about how a person is valued and that's an important thing secondly she says this income reveals how their contribution is valued and viewed and so if you really want to change people's life change the way they view money make the conversation safe make it a safe conversation that you can have with people and say your value is not i believe that every employer Every church, and churches, by the way, just as a sidebar, they can be horrible places to work because they underpay you, and, and then the deacons have little spiritual comments, well, you're doing it for the Lord, you know, it ain't, it ain't a business now, and, but you can do better. Why aren't, you, why, aren't you, why aren't you paying people better if you can? Why aren't you trying to do better? Why is it that you want people to work for you and be poor all their life, and that somehow that's serving God? That's not God's will. We don't have much money. We'll get more. What do you mean? Get more. What's your plan to get more? See, here's the problem. If there's no strategy in the place you're working, you need another job because they don't have a plan to pay you anymore. They don't have some pastors should leave because they refuse to pay you. If they refuse to pay you, you got to say, you know what? This can't be God's will for me. God doesn't want me to be in a position where I'm struggling, where I'm having this hard, difficult time. That's not God's will. Not at all. I I don't believe that's gospel. I understand that everybody doesn't have a whole lot of money to pay people, but you should do the absolute best you can. And I I think sometimes religious organizations, sometimes nonprofits, take advantage of people in the name of a nonprofit cause. And and you, you, you really need to sit down and say, can we show more value to you? Can we make it safer for you to talk about this? In your family, you need to sit down and talk about it. If you feel as if you're not being valued, some of you have a family situation where one person makes more than the other, but they're paying the same percentage in bills. That's not fair. You should, you should sit down and talk that through and say, no, I, we need to balance this out. You make a hundred thousand. I make 20,000. Why am I paying you know, 30% of my money and you're paying, you know, but you, our income is different. We need, to, we need to be more fair about how this is divided up. There's something smart and healthy about that it helps everybody be better. Now I want to close with some tips. I want to give you what I call three strategies that can change everything. You ready? The first thing is I want you to commit to teaching. That's what you saw in the text we started with in Deuteronomy chapter 6. We should teach our families. Listen to what he said Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 4. Teach your families how to love, love God more completely. Watch what he says. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, The Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Notice he starts out saying, here, O Israel, let me teach you something. The first thing I want you to hear is you got to teach your families, number one, how to love God. Number two, you got to teach your family guidelines that they should live by. So if you want to help your family build wealth, help your family down the road, the first thing you got to do is teach them. Teach them to love God, then teach them To follow certain guidelines. Look at verse 6 of Deuteronomy chapter 6. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. I want you to teach your families these are the things you live by. The commandments that I'm teaching. These are the guidelines, guys. So you don't just teach your family just anything. You want to teach them about God, how to love God. Teach them how to live in certain guidelines. And thirdly, teach your family in casual, I love this, informal environments. Verse seven, and press them on your children, he says, and talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads, write them on the door frames of your house and on your gates. The bottom line is when you teach, don't make it so formal. Now here's something that I think is, (laughs) boy, I might get in trouble on this one. Church has made teaching about God too formal. It's always formal. Ain't nothing wrong being in the tie. I got a nice one on today. Nothing wrong being in a suit. I like my suit. But the point is, this can't be the only way we teach people, nor should it be the main way. He told Israel, when you're walking by the way, when you're cooking in the backyard, when you're barbecuing, whatever you're doing, I want you to talk about these things. You have to commit to teaching. You're never going to develop a strategy if you don't commit to teaching engaging talking about these issues whether you are have or have not no matter where you are and let me just say to some of you that are prosperous one of the biggest mistakes you make as a prosperous person is you give money to your kids but you don't teach your kids you don't engage them you just pass not money that's a mistake don't do that i've never made friends with money it's one of my big sayings i have only made enemies when you stop giving it to them they stop liking you and i've learned that so number one i want you if you want to fix everything teach your family Come with a teaching culture, especially around wealth building, around where you are, how they feel, all their realities. Sit down, talk about it, lay it out. Number two. All right. Give advice to your families. Here's what he said in verse, uh, and uh, I love this. Chapter six. I'm going to go to Proverbs now. Chapter six. I want to switch on you a little bit. I'm going to take you to another verse. Proverbs chapter six, verse one. And I love this because there's something in the Bible that really just makes it makes it easy for you to get if you lock into this. Here's what he said in Proverbs chapter 6. You need to give advice. To, to respect, he said, my son, if you have put up security for your neighbor, if you've shaken hands in a pledge for a stranger, you've, tra- you've been trapped by what you said, ensnared by the words of your mouth, so do this, my son, to free yourself, since you have into your neighbor's hands. Go to the point of exhaustion and give your neighbor no rest. Teach your family and advise your family. And here's what I want you to hear in that point. Be specific. He talks about in Proverbs chapter six, he says, I want you to give them practical advice about debt. When they shake hands, and that's what he's talking about in chapter six, verse one, uh, they're Uh, Through about verse 2. He says, I want you to be clear that when they obligate themselves, they put themselves in a trap. Give them specific advice about debt. So, first we looked at Deuteronomy chapter 6 and Moses. Now we're looking at Proverbs when Solomon's giving advice that's really smart. Be careful about debt. Now, in the message version of the Bible, listen to what it says there. This is Proverbs 6, verse 1. He says, Dear friends, If you gone into hock with your neighbor or locked yourself into a deal with a stranger, if you're impulsively promised the shirt off of your back, look at that. If you've, if you've impulsively promised the shirt off of your back and now you find yourself shivering out in the cold, friends don't waste a minute, get yourself out of that mess. You're in the man's clutches. Go put on a long Face, act desperate. Don't procrastinate. There's no time to lose. Run like a deer from the hunter. Fly like a bird from the trapper. (laughs) He said, get free. This is my advice to you. If you're in a bunch of debt, get out. That's what he's saying. There's something about the initial deal that you can strike with somebody alone or whatever you feel, you know, good. I got, I got, I got this deal, I got to pay it back, but you don't realize sometimes, and churches in particular with, with building debt, mortgage debt in particular, they struck deals that got them a nice facility, but they're in bondage. There's some, there's some of us who live in the cycle of constantly striking deals that enslave us to people. You are owned. You don't own that car. You you think you own that car? (laughs) They'll come and get that if you can't pay it. So here's what he advises them. You ready? He says, I want to advise you to respect the trap of debt. I want you you to be careful about what you sign for. I'm not against all debt. There's some good debt that leads to prosperity and leveraging things. And I understand you couldn't build cities. You can't advance if you don't have some debt. I get that. But Some of us need to back up the train a little bit. I'm glad our church did. Back up the train way back. Because some of the the things we think we need to do, we don't need to do. So he told me you need to respect debt because you're putting yourself in the clutches of somebody. And they have control. And during the pandemic season, there are a lot of people who got in a lot of trouble and found out that as much as the banker liked them, they couldn't save their home. As much as the the friends liked them, they couldn't help them financially. And so now as you go to the next stage of your life and you'll get through this, remember this lesson. I'm looking at it really closely, believe me. And I'm thankful God's helped us do well and survive, but I'm telling you, I've noted it in my head. Some of us really need to hear that. Then he goes on and says, I want you, secondly, not only to respect debt, but I want you to respect the poor. Now, I love this part because this is a principle, Leviticus 25, I want you to turn to another verse, Leviticus 25, verse 35. So we looked at Moses in Deuteronomy 6, now looked at Proverbs chapter 6, now we're looking at one more verse in Leviticus 25. And in this verse, there's a principle laid out, and this is how God set the system up for Israel. This is what he said. He said in verse, uh, verse 35, of Leviticus 25. If any of you fellow Israelites become poor and are unable to support themselves among you, help them as you would a foreigner and stranger so that they continue to live among you. Now, I want to stop right there. If there's somebody poor, here's what I want you to do to help them. Now, look at verse 36. Do not take interest or any profit from them, but fear your God so that they may continue to live among you. You must not lend them money at interest or sell them food at a profit. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to give you the land. I love this. To give you the land of Canaan and be your God. If any of your fellow Israelites become poor and sell themselves to you, do not make them work as slaves hire them don't make them slaves i love this now here's what i want you to understand god wanted them to create a system that helped people get through difficult times we don't have that kind of system we have a system that enslaves people he said don't make them slaves you guys came out of egypt i don't want you to be slaves again don't you use your financial advantage to enslave people there's a wonderful book that I like. It's called Dying for a Paycheck. Mm-mm-mm. I'm going to have to put it on the screen for you. Dying for a Paycheck. Woo, That's a good book. Every employee should read it. Employee should read it. It talks about the number of people who committed suicide in the world over work, bondage. Because a lot of times what we've done is we, cre- we create a system that enslaves people. And he said, I don't want you to do that. What I want you to do is free people. I want you to free people. He goes on in verse 40, and that's what he says. This is really good stuff. I want you to watch this. Verse 40, same chapter. He said, they are to be treated as hired workers, temporary residents among you. They are to work for you until the year of Jubilee. Then they, have, the, then they and their children are to be released, and they will go back to their own clans and to the property of their ancestors, because the Israelites are my servants, whom I brought out of Egypt. They must not be sold as slaves. Do not rule over them ruthlessly, but fear your God. Now I want to notice a couple of things. This is an interesting part in the Bible because Leviticus chapter, chapter 25, where we are, is an incredible text because it was, it, it explains how slavery worked in the, in the Bible. You are hired. You were a hired servant. So let's say a guy got into a bunch of debt, couldn't pay for it. He owes more money he could ever pay back. He goes to, to a guy and says, listen, man, can I come work for you? Can I work it off? Can my whole family come and live here and work it off? And he says, sure, come work it off. It'll take you so many years. But here was the deal. They had to make sure they freed them before the year of Jubilee because every seven years, all your debt was canceled. They had a a system that demanded short-term debt, not long-term debt. Pastor Rick, are you against 30-year mortgages? If it take you 30 years to pay it off, I'm, I'm probably against it. If there's no tax benefit in it and if there's no, 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 no wise way to make it work, if it's just enslaving you, yeah, I'm against it. I think you should not have anything that enslaves you. Your goal should be to build wealth, build a future. That's what he wanted for Israel. He said you guys can't do that. Let them work off their debt. He said let them move beyond living with you. Let them go back to their own ancestry land. Let them go back. Don't, don't keep people in bondage. We've created a system that says we're going to build wealth on the top of the poor people. That's not good. That's not good at all. This thing called the year of jubilee was amazing. I want to put a definition up for you on the screen. I want you to see this because this was an incredible system. The year of jubilee defined in the dictionary of Bible Times, says this. It was celebrated in the 50th year as the culmination of the seven sabbatical years. During this year, property was restored and Hebrew slaves were released. This year of liberation gave opportunity for a new start, a new start. Wow! And is alluded to as a type of messianic age. It's like a brand new beginning. It's like what Revelation 20 talks about when Jesus comes back and establishes a kingdom. It's like a brand new start. There's something about you Understanding that's how God wants to live. He never wanted us to create a system that enslaved people. He wanted us to band together. He wants to have a strategy. He gave them a a strategy that would lead to freedom, not bondage. That should be your goal. That should be the goal for your church, your life, your family, your home, your business. Long-term freedom, not bondage. Hey, man, a lot to talk about. A lot to talk about, but I can't do it all in one day. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for this conversation. There are people who say, man, that's me, Pastor. We need a year of jubilee in this country, in the world. We need to free people from these student loans and all these things that are going on. Can't do it all. There's there's, There's challenges in trying to do it all, but God, it does show us, it shines light on a way of thought in life that isn't good for us. And so I help, help, help us as a family, as families, sit down and develop strategies. Let's teach each other. Let's, 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 let's give advice to each other. Let's free each other. Let's find ways to free and liberate each other. Let's band together to free ourselves from this kind of cultural bondage. And let's not do it in some formal classroom. Let's do it along the way, sitting in the room, walking along the way, barbecuing in the backyard. And I pray, God, that we would become free people, not in, bondage, not in bondage, but free people. In Jesus' name, amen. Man, we got a lot more to talk about, but can't do it all today. I thank you for letting me talk to you today. Next week, I'm going to talk about balancing, love this now, the expected and the unexpected. Sometimes in life, things don't come out right. Got a brand new series for you on, on ex- expectations. If you're going to live in this new world, you got to know how to have some good training, good home training, some basics. You got to learn how to get your priorities right. You got to learn how to manage your money. But Number four, you got to learn how to manage your expectations. Some of you expected some things and you're disappointed. I am going to show you how to balance the, expect, ba- the, the, the expected and the unexpected, how you tie it all together. It's going to be good. <laughs> you're going to love it. I promise. Stay with me next time. Let me pray with you. Some of you said, Pastor, I heard the word today. I've got what you said. I need, I need you to pray for me. My walk with God is not where it needs to be. Let's pray for you, Father, for people who've heard me today, but they realize they've been away from God, away from God in ways they shouldn't be away from God. Let this be the start of a brand new life for them, we pray, where they would open their hearts today and say, Lord, come into my life. I invite you in, in Jesus' name. You died for me to be free, and you wanted me to have no bondage but freedom. May they start their walk with you today, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I hope you got that. I hope you applied that to your life. You've got to teach your family. You've got to advise your family and you need to free your family. Free your family from this bondage of being in this circle of debt, bondage all the time. Families need to band together and it makes a real difference when you do. Let me pray for you and your family. Father, I pray for those today who've heard this message. May it help them today band together as a family to make a difference in their future. You did not call us to just pray to ask you to free us. There are things that we can do, and I pray they would take what they've heard today and apply it in Jesus' name. Thank you for letting me be in your life. Thank you for allowing me to share my uh, message with you today, and I hope it helped you. I hope the word of God reached in your heart and made a difference. Go and prosper. Go be blessed. Be humble, but don't allow yourself to accept where you've been. Develop a family strategy and work together. See you next time right here on On Demand. Bye-bye.